Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello and welcome to the Kelly Dry Podcast. Uh, my name is Josh Guyon. I'm a partner in the communications group at Kelly Dry. I'm here with my colleague Steve Oxtino, also a partner in the communications group. Um, today's podcast, we're going to talk about the uh, eighth annual Shelby Conference that was held October uh, 10th through the 12th here in Washington, D.C. Um, this is a uh, potential new series of podcasts that we'd like to do that where we talk about impressions of recent conferences that we've been to. Uh, and we think this is one with some important takeaways um, uh, for you to hear. Approximately 300 attendees and speakers joined John Winhausen and the team at Shelby this year, including Commissioner Michael O'Reilly, former Commissioners Mignon Clyburn and Rob McDowell, Senator Roy Blunt, former NTIA Administrator Larry Irving, and Tom Power, General Counsel of CTIA. This is the largest attendance list Shelby has had thus far, and the show has been continuing to grow. Yeah, it's actually been, it was a very interesting conference. There were a lot of different things happening. Um, as you noted, John Winhausen had indicated this was the biggest one that they've had so far. They bought 300 attendees. It was over two and a half days of sessions. So there were two full days of sessions. And then on the, on the third day of the morning, there were a couple of different sessions. Um, a number of things that I thought were interesting that we won't really have time to, uh, to discuss here. So on the morning of the last day, for example, there was a presentation uh, by um, by a person who was using robotics to um, help uh, children who were in hospitals participate in their classrooms and, and so we had a kind of a live demonstration there and that was that was really interesting there were a couple of other things I saw on like TV white spaces and the educational broadband service um, that um, are full podcasts in and of themselves. So I don't think we're going to talk about those, but I do want to, I I think the goal here for me is for us to go through a couple of different things, things that we thought were interesting that are worthwhile that came out of the Shelby conference this year. Yeah. In addition to the numbers of attendees growing, I think membership also is is growing. They were hitting some goals, I think, during the conference uh, John was mentioning. So... Um, the most important topics of discussion in the conference from, from our perspective um, was first E-Rate or the Schools and Libraries Program and the Rural Healthcare Program, um, both part of the FCC's overall Universal Service Fund or USF. Um, but first, I think it would uh, make sense to talk a bit about uh, the discussion with Commissioner O'Reilly, current Commissioner O'Reilly, um, and what was said about contributions to USF, so the, the, the money going into the, to the fund um, before it gets dispersed to schools and libraries and for other purposes. As the listeners may know, um, the roughly eight or nine billion dollar USF is funded through contributions on telecommunications services, including long distance services, wireless phone service, and interconnected VoIP. But as the contribution base has been shrinking, the contribution factor has increased and is just past the 20% mark for the fourth quarter of 2018. Commissioner O'Reilly addressed that in his discussion at Shelby. Um, did, you were able to attend that, I think, Steve, and, and did you have uh, some impressions from that uh, discussion and, and thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me set this up. So it was 
At the end of the second day, and it was what was described as a jam session with Commissioner O'Reilly. So it was part interview and then supposed to be part um, uh, audience questions on this thing. And he started up and he started talking about stuff that's that's more down your alley than my alley. He was talking right. about um, spectrum, spectrum <laughs> issues and, and the upcoming, you know, various upcoming auctions and stuff. And Yeah, he's been the point man on 3.5 gigahertz and some things that are really kind of top of mind over there. Right, right. And I'm like, I want to ask him about contributions reform. That's what I want to know because to me, 20% was a significant, uh, you know, a line to cross here. But then again, I thought there were lines earlier on this. And and that was the first question that he was asked about it. And interestingly, Commissioner O'Reilly said the same thing. He's like, well, we always thought there was some threshold at which there would be a problem, but we thought it might be 10% or 15%. And it hasn't in those ones. And frankly, 20% hasn't so far at least been that either. That went into effect on October 1st. And it's been crickets, really, um, on that factor. So, so he was asked, how do you fix this? And he said two things that I thought were really interesting. The first thing he said was he doesn't feel any rush to do it right now, that he wants to address and continue to address the program side of this, so the disbursement side of this. Um, getting costs under control, he made the point again about wanting to have uh, budgets for all of the um, all of the programs, which was a you know a, a sort of a backhanded swipe against the Lifeline program, right. which we the one that doesn't have one. We, we all know about that, or one, has right? one, but it, they don't like the way it works. Right, right. Um, so, but he said we need to fix that part of it first, and and clearly said that at least in his mind, he wants to postpone contributions reform until after they feel they're done with that. And remember, he's the chair of the federal state joint board. So he has some real control over timing issues uh, on this. What's interesting there, though, is that in, in a number of the programs, they're actually increasing the spending, right? So they're, they're increasing spending in certain ways in CAF. There's um, groups within the Connect America Fund that are asking for more money. A lot of the rural um, LEX and, and things like that are asking for more, more money, and there's a lot of political pressure there on that. And they're also increasing funding for rural health care. Right, right, the telehealth so that, pilot. Right? Exactly. You know, they're actually spending more money while they're supposedly getting budgets under control to then later right. deal with contributions. Right. right, and in, in the E-rate program, there's another billion dollars that's authorized that's not currently being spent at this point. So the fund could go up very quickly, you know, without any contributions reform on this. But what he said actually on contributions reform, he had kind of teased this in congressional testimony over the summer, but he didn't really talk about it. He was far more explicit here. He said, in the end, the only way to fix the contributions side involves assessments on broadband services. He called it taxing broadband, so that kind of indicates the way he was thinking about it. Um, but he mentioned it even, you know, in the conventional sense is, all right, well, we're going to add broadband into the fund and the contributions, count broadband revenues as assessable. But he said even a, uh, a connections-based approach, in effect, taxes broadband as well. So he sees connections approaches as also being, we're going to bring broadband services now into the fund as part of the contribution side of it. So um, he saw that one way or the other, that's really the only solution. And maybe that's part of the reason why he's not so keen on moving on this now 
and wants to focus on the distribution side first. I mean, you'd have to assess on a purely broadband connection, right, to have that be true. Um, when the, like, for example, your mobile phone is both a phone number and a broadband connection. And if you use that as a connection, it's really a mix of both. But in order to have it apply to broadband, it would have to be, you know, a purely broad, like a MiFi device or a home broad home internet service that did not include a phone number or something like well, that. Well, uh, and or on telecom the, service. Right. I mean, there's a lot of complicated stuff about, about connections, but, you know, a fiber-based connection in, you know, the idea was to assess that differently based upon the capacity of that or right. potentially the speed of that. So the bigger pipes are used for broadband services. So that's in the way in which those would be included, I think. But, uh, but you know, so if you're one of those people like me who are always watching this contribution rate and saying, okay, when is this going to be enough? Well, the commission doesn't think there is a point at that at right <laughs> now when it will be too much. And they do not feel pressure to address contributions reform, which is going to continue the spiral, I think, because sort of as an aside, what I see a lot of now in audits and in counseling with people is people are trying to figure out ways in which they can reduce their overall contributions, either by picking services that are substitutes that don't contribute into the fund, or by bundling services together or looking at their allocations within bundles and reducing the overall amount that they consider to be accessible. I'm just, I expect that to continue, and without any action on contributions reform, um, that's just going to that's that's going to continue to spiral, really. So uh, another topic I think that we want to uh, spend a few minutes on, if, if as a as a takeaway from the conference is, you know, we first would note I think that you know we had um, as far as the attendees go, very broad um, uh, representation that attended the conference, spoke at the conference, you know, participated in the discussions. You know, representatives of schools and libraries, representatives of the of the states, um, the people that process these kinds of applications and 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 help the school districts, um, people who um, dole out state matching funds, things like that. They were all there, but you had construction companies, you had service providers, um, you know, you had the, the actual you know applicants, schools and libraries, of course, um, and advocates and consultants and things like that. They were all there. Um, and going back to this topic about you know the the budget that there's you know additional money still in the rate f uh, fund that that hasn't been spent it wasn't there wasn't a lot of discussion of we need more money for e rate we need more money for e rate which you would hear you know in, with respect to a lot of the other funds it was more um, you got this kind of uniform um, discussion of um, administrative issues or or um, process issues that a lot of people were. Um, we're finding, um, and, and you know, what were you hearing at the at the conference about that? I, I certainly was hearing things like about the program integrity assurance reviews, or PIA reviews, and how long those were taking and how in depth they were, and especially at the earlier end of the process, as opposed to doing a reconciliation or providing, um, you know, product lists and things like that at the end, you know, which you would expect with auditing and things like that. More doing that up front that was delaying the process and construction and things like that. Right. Yeah. No. It. it I agree with you. One of the takeaways here was that this community as a whole was very um, very much in sync as to what the goals were and very much in agreement on the goals. You know, you have potentials for conflicts there. The libraries might want certain things that schools don't want or don't need or service providers, you know, may not want to provide dark fiber or allow self-construction. Like, there's potential there. But that wasn't what came out of this. People said... We want this. This is a good thing. This program needs to grow. Um, but you're right. All of the, the discussion was 
the administration of it needs to be more efficient, more transparent, and um, easier to navigate. That's that's certainly you know the thing that I saw in that. And in fact, you know, I did a session um, that we called a service provider toolkit. So we had service providers in there talking about their experiences in the program, and trying to educate people on what it would take to to be your own uh, provider in this market. Um, and then there also was a session on audits and appeals, and uh, they're kind of related in a couple of different ways. But but that toolkit discussion. What came out of that was a lot talking about the administration of this. In some ways, this is just an, you know, a school or a library is just another small, medium-sized business for you um, as a service provider. School systems want to connect their 10, 15 schools in the school system. You might have a bank that's got 10 locations and needs to network those together. So they need a wide area network. Schools need a wide area network. There seem to be parallels in these things. Um, but because of the program requirements, one of the recommendations was you really have to have your own dedicated set of personnel on this that know the sales rules. They know how to sell this because you have to sell this differently than you sell to that bank um, because of the competitive bidding rules. And then you have to process it differently as you going through the approval processes. And so we delved into that a little bit there. And then the appeals, what struck me in the appeal process was there were just so many um, appeals and so many issues uh, that were taken a long time. You talked about PIA reviews. Um, I heard that in the context of either dark fiber, comparing that with lit fiber and um, and self-construction of networks or in the special construction area. And Josh, I know you yeah. went to one of those sessions, right? Yeah. And the discussion there was a lot of um, going through really extensive, I mean, we're talking maybe year-long PIA reviews on uh, for a special construction project where they were getting really in-depth into cost allocation issues. So figuring out how many strands of a fiber connection were being, you know, used for the project or the school, um, and and not just that, but also into the um, the conduit and the construction and the the digging and other things like that. They were trying to you know allocate out you know um, uh, numbers of strands and things like that um, dedicated to these services and how really in depth and kind of. Uh, they considered again. This is people kind of who are dealing with these um, reviews. Um, how difficult those were to to respond to, and frankly, to go, go to your point about how you have to treat this differently as a service provider. Um, a lot of the um, schools and libraries representatives were talking about how much help they need from the service providers to respond to these PIA questions, and how they were trying to figure out how to build in responsiveness to those questions in the bidding process when you're choosing someone and, and making that potentially even a disqualifying factor if you were unwilling to promptly respond to, to questions because the schools the schools and libraries weren't necessarily feeling equipped to answer a lot of the things that were coming up in the, these detailed PIA reviews and they need the assistance of the service providers you know, promptly to help right. them with that. And that came up with my session too, the service providers. And one of their concerns is what USAC is asking for is really detailed cost data what your costs are. And and one of the providers made the point, this isn't a cost rate of return program. It's you rely upon competitive bidding to get you to the lowest price or the right or reasonable price on this. 
Um, so they're reluctant to share that, and they're certainly not going to share that with their customers, the school. So that there had to be a, a direct conduit to USAC to make that information be available. And that, that appears to exist, but still those are taking a long time. So I think that the other issue you wanted to, to talk about was also the, you know, the uptick in appeals, um, perhaps related to some of this. Yeah, there was a very interesting session on Friday morning on appeals. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we saw there, there, there is a large number of appeals. Um, the, uh, one of the other law firms presented some data on the results from the streamlined processing orders from the commission and, and showed you know, that there has been this large number of appeals that it's fairly consistent in what's happening there. Um, USAC has, or the FCC has broken things down into basically seven categories that they're addressing. And, and um, she had, Cynthia Schultz had some interesting proposals for how to maybe streamline the streamline processing on that. And I, and I thought that was kind of worthwhile to deal with the fact there that a lot of these schools are appealing and they don't have the resources that others have. So the you know, the quality or the detail of those appeals is um, is not what you might expect in, in other situations. So so that was one point. But the other thing was that Funds for Learning put out some data. Um, and what they were talking about there, what really showed is that in 2017, the FCC issued an order, the Net 56 order, that talked about commitment adjustments and talked about the statute of limitations. And what they said there with respect to E-rate similar to what the FCC has said elsewhere in other USF programs, which is there really is no statute of limitations. We can go back as far as we need to or feel that that uh, they can. I'm not sure that, by the way, that that's the right thing when you have like a five-year record retention requirement or a 10-year record retention requirement to suggest you can go back more than that. But after that order, um, the count of commitment adjustments according to Funds for Learning um, has gone up significantly. It's gone up by 50%. In 2016, they said there were 6,317 of those commitment adjustments. In 2017, uh, there were 9,400, 9,475. So that's a 50% increase. And they're projecting a little over 9,000 for funding year 2018. So a big adjustment there. The return of E-rate funds also skyrocketed, according to Funds for Learning, went from $4.2 million in 2016 to over $60 million in 17 and $86 million. It's going to be in 18, according to Funds for Learning. So again, um, big uptick in this, a lot of activity. And I think whether you're a service provider or you're an applicant at this point, you really need to factor in the net 56 order and um, take these reviews very, very seriously because you can end up with some really big dollars according to the way that the FCC has indicated this can go. And you got to imagine with the you know uptick in funds being pulled back, you know, from school districts and in some cases service providers and some cases school districts, but again, people who uh, or entities that you know, they don't really necessarily have this money to give, right? I mean, this is, you know, money that's that's been spent. They're not exactly school districts flush with cash. And so when they come back years later and try to claw back money from them, that, that can be really difficult. I imagine we're going to see an uptick in challenges, appeals, you know, things like that, because they're not able to to, to deal with, with with these. And so I, I think it's worth looking at a couple of the recent um, appeals decisions. And I think there is a bit of a contrast there to show where um, 
appeals have been successful versus when they haven't. I mean, generally speaking, they're not, but um, but but they can be. And you know how those are done, how kind of sophisticated the um, appeals, uh, waiver requests, um, petitions for reconsideration, things like that have been. Um, you know, one example I think I would give is the Detroit Public School District. The FCC recently um, released an order uh, considering a petition for reconsideration, um, and and this involved. Uh, a request for review and, a, and for a waiver filed by the Detroit Public School District. USAC had um, the, the, the FCC says that USAC properly rescinded the E-rate funding because of violations of the competitive bidding rules um, and, and saying that they failed to consider the price of eligible services the primary factor. There seemed to be, in looking at the petition for recon and, and the order, there seemed to be an actual interesting factual dispute as, as to how they could consider um, and factor in ineligible services or handsets that were being thrown in in one of the bids, that they were going to throw in a bunch of handsets. Um, and if you kind of remove those handsets from the consideration, there was kind of a factual dispute as to whether that made the offer that was accepted actually cheaper. The FCC said, no, it didn't. So even without the handsets, we, you know, we believe that it, that the other offer was actually cheaper and therefore you weren't you know, taking the, the least cost, uh, the lowest priced item. Um, but there seemed to be an actual dispute, but the petition for reconsideration um, was written as kind of a bulleted outline without much um, support, you know, for for the pieces. They they didn't include exhibits and things like that to how they were doing their math. Um, and, and so, and that's yeah. interesting because I mean, Detroit Public Schools is a pretty big school system. Sure. So, um, you know, we'd think that they would have the resources necessary to do this. Yeah, and so you know, I don't obviously I don't know what what other information they could have provided and that, and that kind of thing. But it, it seems like perhaps with more of an effort there that that or or kind of adding some additional substantiation. They, they might have had a different outcome. Um, there's another example. Yeah. Well, before you yeah. go on that, because one of the things you talked about there actually triggered up something that the USAC representative, Katriona Ayer, who runs the E-rate program, she's the, the manager on that. Um, in her session, she emphasized the competitive bidding requirements and emphasized the point there that um, the schools must consider the uh, the cost effectiveness of the eligible services right. and you can't consider the ineligible services. So that was a point of emphasis, I guess, because they're seeing that fairly often uh, within the program. Yeah. And, and actually that, that goes to another example where the um, applicant actually was successful in an overturning a USEC decision in the Farmington order, Farmington Municipal School Districts uh, 5, um, where uh, the Telecommunications Access Policy Division actually agreed with, with Farmington and overturned a decision by USAC. Um, USAC had said that they were looking at two different bids. And um, one of them was a, uh, there's a special construction. One of them was for a self-provision network um, with a company called Network Cabling. Um, it included more special construction for the self-provision network, and that was um, subject to state match funds, right? So those were eligible for state match funds. Versus another service offering that was in, in the competitive bidding process from a company called Lightstream um, that was leased dark fiber. And that had less of these special construction costs that, that had, and had less state match um, available. And uh, Farmington had looked at the overall uh, cost to them over the life of the project, including the state match funds, um, for, to figure out overall to them what was going to be the cheaper option over the life of the project. Um, and uh, the USAC said, well, no, you can't consider that. That's not 
looking at the lowest price for the eligible services, right? The exact point that, that, that you were making. And the FCC came back and overturned USEC's decision, but didn't specifically address the issue of state match funding. They just said that looking at all the evidence, Farmington had showed that it based its cost effectiveness analysis on the total cost of ownership over the expected useful life of the facility on a pre-discount basis, and that's a key part of it as well, as required by the rules, but it didn't specifically talk about the state match funds. I thought that was interesting. They kind of perhaps a little bit sidestepped that issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I looked at that too, and it's, it's interesting, I think, because there's, there's definitely more to come there. Um, the FCC has a couple of statements in that order that seems to suggest, well, they considered those state matching funds, and that was okay to consider them. But they didn't consider it in a way that it tipped the balance in some some manner, and you know, and the statements are kind of vague. So what it, what came out from me on this is there is room for more appeals on this, or at least more guidance on how you're supposed to or how you're entitled to consider those other programs um, in your cost effectiveness analysis. I think that's right. And the other one that I would just um, briefly noted uh, or note that it's not a, not of the same topic, but goes back to I think we, a point we made earlier about how uh, detailed, in depth, and how long these USAC some of these USAC reviews are taking, especially with the um, special construction um, and, and the PIA reviews. Um, there was another decision where they went through a couple of different reasons for granting extensions of deadlines to complete special construction. Um, one of them, you know, was an unexpected halt in construction uh, due to having to do an archaeological survey that wasn't expected, and they 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 uh, extended the deadlines, the special construction deadlines for that. But what I thought was more interesting is that another one, an actual reason that that the that they've granted waivers, um, and USAC can only grant a year. Uh, extension. You have to go to the FCC beyond that for, for more than a year. Um, but one of the reasons that they've granted beyond that is um, when the service provider is unwilling to continue or complete the work, the installation, because the funding disbursements are delayed while while USAC reviews uh, the applicant's request for program compliance. So they're doing a program compliance review. In the case of the uh, Grants Cibola County School District, um, for a year and a half, more than a year and a half, they were doing this compliance review, and the service provider refused to kind of continue work until that was completed. And um, the FCC said, "Well, that's that's justification for an extension on your construction." Um, so th- these reviews taking so long are actually delaying getting the broadband services to schools and, and libraries. Right. right. Yeah, and it's an indication of what what people were saying through this is. There's there's been a lot of progress, and I think we should we should acknowledge the the positives there, right? Uh, the processing center Epic um, is functioning better than it did a year ago or 18 months ago. There still are some issues, and that kind of kept coming up at Shelby. It's like there are problems. Um, it can be better. Um, it should be better. And I think, you know, we talked about the unity and the policy goals. I think there is unity at the FCC as well in we want this to function better. We want to see this there. So, well, I remember at Shelby. I think it was two years ago. Nick Degani came and kind of get, did a discussion on on E-rate, and I mean, he he flat out it wasn't his responsibility. Of course, he, they had just come come into the chairmanship, right? His his boss that became the new chairman, but he flat out apologized, kind of to the room for how bad Epic was, and committed to to fixing it and making some of the improvements. I think that you're that you're talking about and that people are seeing. Um, and he had also said that they wanted to get through the those fixes before they looked at the overall 
program because um, people were asking, well, when are you going to do, you know, a larger you know, reform proceeding or anything like that if, if they didn't like the direction that perhaps the Wheeler FCC had taken E-rate. Um, you know, he basically said, listen, we want to get this functioning correctly first. And so that seems to be more their focus before they go into rulemaking and things like that. Yeah, so. yeah I, I think you're right on that. Remember, the, the E-rate reform order was a 2014 order. And there is a report that's supposed to be coming out fairly soon about kind of how that had worked and whether there's something else should happen. And so there is more to come, I think, um, at least in tweaking of the E-rate program. Um, but yeah, the sense I got, and it was reinforced at this, Shelby, to me, um, was that they're still focusing on fixing Epic, fixing the processing issues before they jump into the policy reforms in the program itself. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the last takeaway really from the Shelby conference here. Um, so, you know, this was this was good. I think it was a really interesting conference. Um, I hope that we were able to convey for our listeners here a little bit of the flavor of what was happening there and kind of what's going on on this. Um, you know, if you have questions about this, I encourage people to find us and contact us. We're certainly willing to have this uh um, you know, this discussion uh, on this. And then, you know, keep in mind, I'm hoping we can do this for other conferences as well. I think that um, it might be something that is worthwhile for everybody for, for us to do, you know, look at a, a couple of these conferences, at least the major ones, and see what are the trends, what's happening there. Yep. Yeah, or ones that we've got, you know, multiple people there and we can, you know, trade impressions. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, so thanks to everybody for listening and uh, stay tuned for more. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.